Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023, the 763rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do in this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So let's talk today about the world war we are being walked into by the global regime. We talked on Monday about how the fake president, Joe Biden, traveled over to what we're told is Kiev to meet with the fake president of Ukraine, the comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky. They took a nice stroll down a lane in front of a very pretty mural that 
anyone who voted for Joe Biden would be absolutely thrilled to take selfies in front of knowing what incredible engagement and attention that could draw on Instagram. You were in Kiev. Was it dangerous? Were you inspired by the bravery of the Ukrainian people? Did you get a sight of Volodymyr Zelensky's drab camouflage sweatpants? That must have been the trip of a lifetime. But sadly, American influencers with Ukraine flag emojis in their screen names and profiles aren't traveling to Kiev because the war zone is just too dangerous. How dangerous? Well, there were air raid sirens going off as the news teams and camera crews filmed the production of Joe Biden and Volodymyr Zelensky taking a nice stroll down the lane in front of the mural. And of course, they thought the air raid siren would be a nice touch someday in the future. Someone's going to watch that video and think that Joe Biden in his dark Brandon aviator sunglasses was actually in some sort of danger that Russia was attacking the whole of Ukraine and that the brave, brave Joe Biden was just there to save the world and not doddering around babbling through a photo op. While promising to send more American taxpayer money, more American funded weapons, and potentially one day, even young Americans over to Ukraine, whether they want to go or not. But the air raid sirens weren't real and everyone knew that, even CNN. Um, I've been here for the past five days. I have not heard any explosions. I have not heard any air sirens until about half an hour ago, right when uh, President Biden was in the center of Kiev, as, as Clarissa was, was just mentioning. He's been there for five days and hasn't heard an air raid siren until Biden landed, which to most people in CNN's audience means that Russia was probably attempting to attack Joe Biden. They wanted to take the king off the chessboard. Ooh, once they got Biden, oh, the whole thing would fall apart because Biden is the leader. He's the one who's united NATO. He's the one who's united the world. Of course, he also wouldn't have heard of any bombings in Kiev or any air raid sirens if he had been there 50 days or 100 days or 150 days or even 250 days because they haven't been attacking Kiev. So it's not a war zone and it's not dangerous. And there was no problem for Joe Biden to go there, especially after he already asked Russia for permission. Hey, will you guys agree to let the fake president land and leave without threatening him at all? And they said, sure, that doesn't matter at all. But it matters to our media here. Joe Biden is JFK and FDR and Winston Churchill all wrapped into one. He's going to save the world. He's the only one who can bring those Russians to heel and deal with that brutal dictator Vladimir Putin. And oh, Joe Biden is so celebrated in Europe. So after his Kiev trip, he went over to Poland and he gave a speech. And I want to share with you this wonderful speech. You might remember they tried to present him the same way last year when he went to Poland and gave a speech. And during that speech, he announced to the world that Putin cannot remain in power. And of course, his illegitimate administration walked that comment back for the next few days, as they do with most of the things that Biden says, 
because he has no idea what's going on. So he landed in Poland yesterday and they had some formal little ceremony, little get together with a red carpet that Joe Biden was supposed to walk down and then turn around and then walk back down part way. And he couldn't follow those instructions. It took multiple people to set Joe Biden back on course to walk in the right direction. It was on par with last year when the Easter Bunny had to pull him away from people who were asking questions, worried that he might start sniffing and groping children. And then in the evening, he gave a big speech, probably to the biggest audience he's ever spoken in front of, at least since he was palling around with Barack Obama. And they built him a big stage and provided him a very dramatic backdrop. Things were lit up in blue and yellow, celebrating Ukraine. There was an American flag next to a Polish flag next to a Ukrainian flag, because that's what it means to unite NATO. And, you know, we're all in it together, even though the American people are not in it at all and want it to stop immediately. His whole speech was covered in an ABC News special report. They made it out like this was some sort of state of the union, like some major international event. They covered it as if it was like a royal wedding or something. No kidding. They had a 15 minute lead in talking about how important this speech was. Here's a little bit of it. This is an ABC News special report. Now reporting David Muir. Good morning, everyone. We're coming on the air from here in Warsaw, Poland, for a landmark moment in the war in Ukraine, now about to mark one year into this war. President Biden is about to step back onto the world stage momentarily to deliver a major address to America's allies, to Ukraine, and of course, to Russia as well. It is evening here in Warsaw, and all of this comes 24 hours after his secret and history-making trip to Kyiv. President Biden intends to rally the allies and further cement America's unwavering support for Ukraine and the fight for democracy, pledging the U.S. will stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes, he has said. The president meeting today with Polish President Andrzej Duda. Poland, which shares a border, of course, with Ukraine, is a key staging ground for military aid flowing into Ukraine. President Biden also praising the people here of Poland for welcoming more than one and a half million Ukrainian refugees. President Biden's speech providing one half of a remarkable split screen today. It comes just hours after Vladimir Putin, you see right there, delivering his State of the Nation address in Russia. Putin showing no signs of ending the war anytime soon and sending the U.S. a message of his own, announcing Russia is suspending its participation in START. That's the major nuclear arms treaty. He referenced the U.S. and the West several times. Uh, he did not mention President Biden by name. The sight of Presidents Biden and Zelensky together in Kyiv in the last 24 hours, of course, seen as a strong symbol of their solidarity. The two leaders defiantly walking the streets of the Ukrainian capital yesterday with air raid sirens wailing around them. And how about that? The air raid sirens were wailing around them. It's been one day. That video was from yesterday, obviously. So one day between the air raid siren and someone on ABC News presenting this as a massive international event, this speech, talking about that air raid siren that they turned on specifically for that publicity stunt. There was absolutely no justification for the air raid siren, and even CNN admits it. But you have to make the fake president look brave, and no one's going to think he's brave to just be wandering around in his dark Brandon aviators in a totally safe and not at all a war zone, Kiev. 
This is how they create a false future history in real time. Ten years from now, people are going to watch ABC News's coverage that I just played for you, and absolutely nobody is going to know about that CNN clip where they're like, yeah, uh, there haven't been any air raids. There haven't been any air raid sirens. There haven't been any bombings. There hasn't been anything going on in Kiev for a long time. So we have an illegitimate president who travels over to Europe to drum up support for World War III, the full warmonger that he is, to protect global regime corruption in Ukraine, money laundering, human trafficking, bioweapons labs, and Nazi armies. But in the future, false reality, none of that will be true. And Joe Biden is coming to Ukraine, the middle of the danger zone, the middle of the war zone, to announce to Putin that the world will not tolerate his brutal invasion any longer. Now, people in 10 years who have no familiarity with this situation might watch that and think, wow, all of this is true. That actually was a brave move by Joe Biden. But what's even sadder is that there are people who exist right now, child brains who watch MSNBC and CNN and Fox for all of their information and read the New York Times, and the L.A. Times, and the Atlantic and blah, blah, blah. They actually believe it right now. They think Joe Biden is in a very dangerous war zone and they don't care that he didn't bother visiting for a year, even though Bono went there to play a concert and Ben Stiller and Sean Penn have visited. Sean Penn gave Volodymyr Zelensky an Oscar, which is hilarious and also symbolic. Hey, Volodymyr Zelensky, this is the best acting job I've ever seen. They even had Vanity Fair, I think it was Annie Leibovitz, travel over there to take pictures of Volodymyr Zelensky's wife. That's how not a war zone it is. But hey, all of this is a comical farce anyway, so let's pretend it's real as much as we have to. And let's get into the speech. Allies, Ukraine, and Russia. Let's listen. One of our great allies, President Duda, Prime Minister, Mr. Prime Minister, Mr. Mayor, to all the former ministers and presidents, as well as mayors and Polish political leaders from all across the country, thank you for welcoming back to Poland. You know, it was nearly one year ago, nearly one year ago, I spoke at the Royal Castle here in Warsaw just weeks after Vladimir Putin had unleashed his murderous assault on Ukraine, the largest land war in Europe since World War II had begun, and the principles that have been the cornerstone of peace, prosperity, and stability on this planet for more than 75 years were at risk of being shattered. One year ago, the world was bracing for the fall of Kyiv, well, I just come from a visit to Kiev, and I can report Kiev stands strong. One year ago, the world was not bracing for the fall of Kiev. That was a false narrative online and in Western global state propaganda media that was designed to produce the optics of a Ukrainian victory in Kiev. They said that Vladimir Putin was going to attack Kiev. He was going to sack 
heave. And they kept him out. Huge victory for the West. Huge victory for Ukraine. Huge victory for American allies all under Joe Biden's sound leadership. But that never happened. So it's actually not a big deal that Kiev is still standing. Of course, Kiev is still standing. Vladimir Putin doesn't want to ruin it. Kiev is one of the historical capitals of Russia from like a thousand years ago. He's not trying to ruin Kiev. I'm sure back then it was called Kiev like it also was called a year and a half ago. But they had to change it so that people who don't know anything can just say Kiev rather than Kiev, and they will feel like they're the smart ones. But Joe Biden raises his little fists and shakes a little bit like he's riling up his orc army and says, Kiev still strong. And oh, waves of applause come toward Joe Biden. Now, he's never been applauded like that in America, but hey, if you can't be applauded like that in America, at least you can be applauded by Nazi-aligned foreigners. Keith stands proud. It stands tall. And most important, it stands free. When Russia invaded, it wasn't just Ukraine being tested. The whole world faced a test for the ages. Europe was being tested. America was being tested. NATO was being tested. All democracies are being tested. And the questions we faced were as simple as they were profound. Would we respond or would we look the other way? Would we be strong or would we be weak? Would we, we, would we, would we the, all of our allies, would be united or divided? One year later, we know the answer. We did respond. We would be strong. We would be united. And the world would not look the other way. Gosh, it's inspiring. Would the United States stand with them? Would Europe stand with them? Would NATO stand with them? Well, a year later, we have our answer. The answer is, I mean, sort of. I guess we'll keep laundering money through there. The arms dealers are going to make out great. This is exactly what we wanted. Right, guys? Right, guys? Applaud now. Applaud for that, you stupid bastards. <laughs> oh, God, Joe Biden. What? And you got to appreciate the fact that the global state propaganda media has to continue painting him as this FDR slash Kennedy slash Churchill character, but he can't make it through two minutes of this big global important speech without displaying his total inability to think, much less speak, in complete sentences. We also face fundamental questions about the commitment to the most basic of principles. Would we stand up for the sovereignty of nations? Would we stand up for the right of people to live free from naked aggression? Would we stand up for democracy? One year later, we know the answers. Yes, we would stand up for sovereignty, and we did. Yes, we would stand up for the right of people to live free from aggression, and we did. And we would stand up for democracy, and we did. And yesterday, I had the honor to stand with President Zelensky in Kyiv to declare that we will keep standing up for these same things, no matter what. <clears throat> Joe Biden's speechwriters are terrible. There's not an orator in the world 
who could pull this speech off with any level of authenticity at all. First of all, everything he says is drawn completely from a false reality. There is nothing that relates to the empirical observable reality here whatsoever. All they have done to respond, to stand, is to extract money from the taxpayers of nations, launder it through Ukraine, and send some weapons over there, most of which are redirected at some point and never come anywhere close to the battlefield. The army is mercenaries and Nazis. This is what it means for the American president to stand up for democracy and the sovereignty of nations. And as always, it's worth remembering that he doesn't even stand up for democracy at home. You can't really claim that after stealing elections. Of course, he's using the global regime's definition of democracy, which is they make all the decisions in the name of all the people whose elections they steal. And because the people don't know that the elections are being stolen, we're told and they pretend that the people have actually chosen all of this. And when they steal the next election, they will say the people liked what we did. That is democracy to the global regime. That is democracy to Joe Biden. When President Putin ordered his tanks to roll in Ukraine, he thought we would roll over. He was wrong. The Ukrainian people are too brave. America, Europe, a coalition of nations from the Atlantic to the Pacific. We were too unified. Democracy was too strong. Instead of an easy victory, he perceived and predicted Putin left with burnout tanks and Russia's forces in delay and dis in disarray. He thought he'd get the Findalization of NATO. Instead, he got the NATOization of Finland. So after the third time saying that they're all unified and all standing and no one thought they would stand, but they have chosen to stand. And so now they're standing. He's claiming that Putin left with burned out tanks and that we thought we'd get the findalization of NATO and instead we got the NATOization of Finland. Who wrote that? Is that something that Karine Jean-Pierre heard on the plane over to Europe and was like, oh, Mr. President, we have to get this in the speech. <laughs> what? is the findalization of NATO. Now, I don't want to burden you with this entire speech because it's about 20 minutes, which means it would probably be the full hour of the podcast. And he mostly just carries on like this the entire time. But there are a couple more bits worth playing. We're seeing again today what the people of Poland and the people across Europe saw for decades. Appetites of the autocrat cannot be appeased they must be opposed. Autocrats only understand one word. No, no, no. No, you will not take my country. No, you will not take my freedom. No, you will not take my future. And I'll repeat tonight what I said last year in the same place. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never be able to ease the people's love of liberty. Brutality will never grind down the will of the free. 
And Ukraine, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. So Joe Biden is hearkening back to World War II and claiming that Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. They have to win. They must win. They will win. They'll stand and stand and stand. And however long it takes, they're going to keep standing. And Joe is mentioning one of the buzzwords in global state propaganda media these days. This is one of the negative descriptors of leaders around the world who are not on board with the global agenda, the regime agenda. Now, instead of calling them dictators or warlords, we just call them autocrats. We are told these are autocracies. They are ruled by this single ruler with an iron fist, the Vladimir Putins of the world, the Donald Trumps of the world, ruling all alone with an iron fist and no popular support, just there to oppress the people from the top down. Nothing like what Joe Biden's doing. And not two minutes before, during this same speech, he said that democracies are growing stronger and autocracies are growing weaker. Except nine months ago, he screamed this. Well, guess what? In the last 10 years, there's 15 fewer democracies in the world. Fewer. Not more, fewer. And he's done that a few times. This is one of Joe Biden's things that he says. He talks about how there are fewer democracies. And if we're using the global regime's definition of democracy, that means that there are 15 fewer nations aligned with the global regime. So, hey, that sounds like a win. People refuse to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. You know, this has been an extraordinary year in every sense. Extraordinary brutality of Russian forces and mercenaries. They've committed depravities, crimes against humanity, without shame or compunction. They've targeted civilians with death and destruction, used rape as a weapon of war, stolen Ukrainian children in an attempt to, in an attempt to steal Ukraine's future, bombed train stations, maternity hospitals, schools and orphanages. No one, no one can turn away their eyes from the atrocities Russia is committing against the Ukrainian people. It's abhorrent. It's abhorrent. So that's where we are now. A fake American president is in Europe accusing Russia of crimes against humanity and listing off a number of kind of media buzzwords from stories the media has pushed over the last year. All of those stories are propaganda. The maternity hospital. Remember the maternity hospital and the schools? Ukrainian Nazis were setting up in maternity hospitals and schools. That's the Ukrainians using civilians and civilian infrastructure as human shields. That's Ukrainian human rights violations. That's Ukrainian war crimes. We should be happy. That Joe Biden doesn't actually have the power a normal American president has. We should be happy that his words mean so little on the global stage, because without that, it would be a little hard to see Vladimir Putin showing the restraint he's showing, especially as the world comes to terms with the fact that Joe Biden and the 
American part of the global regime is partially at least responsible for the bombing of the Nord Stream pipelines. But extraordinarily as well has been the response of the Ukrainian people and the world. One year after the bombs began to fall, Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine. Ukraine is still independent and free. Now, I don't know if you can tell because this is just audio, but that was one of the moments where Joe Biden bends over the lectern and whispers, Ukraine is still independent and free. And I know he's just constantly saying that we're strong and they're weak. We're good and they're bad over and over and over again. But you can't miss a Joe Biden whisper. From Kyrgyzstan to Kharkiv, Ukrainian fighters have reclaimed their land. Donnie was a good bowler and a good man. He was, he was one of us. He was a man who loved the outdoors and bowling. And as a surfer, he explored the beaches of Southern California from La Jolla to Leo Carrillo and up to Pismo. More than 50% of the territory Russia held last year. The blue and the yellow flag of Ukraine proudly waves once again. President Zelensky still leads a democratic elected government that represents the will of the Ukrainian people. Now, that's just nuts. First of all, those territories had referendums. They voted to be part of Russia. They're Russia now. That's what international law recognizes. And Volodymyr Zelensky doesn't lead a democratically elected government. They have fake elections like every other corrupt regime country has, including our own. But Zelensky has also banned opposition political parties, and he's pursuing opposition media and political opponents and even churches. There is nothing about Volodymyr Zelensky's puppet rule that's in line whatsoever with what we consider traditionally to be democratically elected governments. But that doesn't matter, does it? Because all that matters is whether or not he's aligned with the global regime. The will of the people of Ukraine doesn't matter at all. In fact, here's why. The world has already voted multiple times, including the United Nations General Assembly, to condemn Russia's aggression and support a just peace. Each time in the UN, that vote has been overwhelming. In October... 143 nations, the United Nations, condemned Russia's illegal annexation. Only four, four in the entire UN voted with Russia. Four. So the countries of the world have voted and they agree that Russia is bad. Problem with that is no one cares. No one cares what the United Nations does. The United Nations is the governing body of the global regime. If you don't want anything to do with the global regime and you are prepared to go to war and you are capable of winning the war, then why would you care what the United Nations says? And of course, Vladimir Putin doesn't and neither do other major leaders of the world. The UN, for all intents and purposes at this point, is basically fake. So is NATO. Who cares about these organizations? The EU? All of those are likely to disintegrate within the next few years. They just won't exist anymore. So why would we pretend that they're important now? 
They've already proven to be toothless. And for the record, that won't be disproven if NATO decides to launch some offensive against Russia in Ukraine, because that's already happening now under a different name. So what's the difference? It's not like they're going to come in and just win automatically. Oh, NATO's coming now. Vladimir Putin went too far. Uh Oh, NATO's going to come in and destroy Russia. And then everything's going to go back to how it was before, because everybody cares about the UN and NATO. No, they don't. They just don't. It's all marketing. It's all fake. No one has to believe it anymore. I speak once more to the people of Russia. The United States and the nations of Europe do not seek to control or destroy Russia. The West was not plotting to attack Russia, as Putin said today. And millions of Russian citizens who only want to live in peace with their neighbors are not the enemy. This war is never a necessity. It's a tragedy. President Putin chose this war. Every day the war continues is his choice. He could end the war with a word. It's simple. If Russia stopped invading Ukraine, it would end the war. If Ukraine stopped defending itself against Russia, it would be the end of Ukraine. That's why together we're making sure Ukraine can defend itself. Well, that's strange. The West was not plotting to attack Russia. They don't want to destroy Russia. They have said many, many times, though, that they want to significantly weaken Russia's military and remove Vladimir Putin from power. He's saying that Russia's people are not the enemy. But the initial plan from the West was to use sanctions to destroy their economy. And who does that attack? Well, that attacks the people. So the people were actually the first victims of this war. And while they may not be described as the enemy, they're certainly the people who were attacked. So what does it mean to say that they're not the enemy? Every day that goes on, the war is a war of choice, a war of Putin's choice. He could end the war with one word. We are not told what that word is, but he would have to surrender. That could be the word and pull out his troops and just give all of Ukraine back. And then the war could be over. Now, Putin would be an idiot to believe that. And of course, he doesn't believe it. And Joe Biden doesn't believe it either. But if he did that, then Ukraine could go back to being Ukraine. And that's what's really important is keeping Ukraine there. Doesn't matter how many Ukrainian lives are lost or Russian lives or the lives of foreign mercenaries. Doesn't matter how much money is spent, how many arms are shipped. It doesn't matter how much of that money And weaponry and ammunition is steered off course and ends up in the hands of who knows. All that matters is that Ukraine still stands for some reason. Why do they care so much about Ukraine? Sure, it's the corruption. Sure, it's the biolabs. Sure, it's the Nazis. Sure, it's the resources. Sure, it's the history. Oh, wait. Nope. Yeah, yeah, it's just the history. Those other things are just things they stack on top of the history. But Ukraine has its own special importance to this certain powerful group of people in the world, the people who are actually controlling the global regime. It seems like I mean, it seems like maybe the history actually matters here. Maybe it matters that there have been Ukrainian Nazis there for decades. And maybe it matters why there have been Nazis there for decades. And maybe it matters who would have been there before who was fighting the Russians and doesn't like having Russians right in that spot in the world. 
And what was that spot called way back in history? Oh, yeah, it was called Kazaria. But no, 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 no. It can't be that. It can't be that. We're trying to defend the territorial integrity and the sovereignty of a nation that was just made up a very short time ago and just also happens to be one of the seats of this global corruption by the very same people. But I know, I know that's a conspiracy theory. I understand. But without it, it just seems so hard to understand why the entire world cares about where the eastern border of Ukraine is drawn. And why was it so important to Ukraine and the global regime controlling Ukraine to get rid of all those ethnic Russians in that eastern part of Ukraine. I mean, they were, after all, waging a civil war, an ethnic civil war for the last eight or nine years. It seems like maybe there's something more to this that we're not being told about. But let's ignore all that, because I'm sure that we're getting at least enough of the story from the TV, right? Poland's generosity, your willingness to open your hearts and your homes is extraordinary. The American people are united in our resolve as well. All across my country, in big cities and small towns, Ukrainian flags fly from American homes. Well, that was kind of accurate last March, I guess. Everyone doing the Ukraine flag emojis and putting Ukraine flags outside their homes. But most of those have been taken down. And now people with Ukraine flag emojis in their profile are kind of a joke. That was a dream of those who declared Ukraine's independence more than 30 years ago who led the Orange Revolution and the Revolution of Dignity, who braved ice and fire in the Badan and the heavenly hundred who died there. Joe Biden right there is talking about the overthrow of Ukraine's government by the global regime led by the American State Department, including people who are in Joe Biden's illegitimate administration right now. He is glorifying that. And it's critical to keep that in mind. The democratically elected government in Ukraine was installed by Joe Biden's allies under the Obama administration for George Soros's profit. We've gone over this countless times, but in the false reality, this is something that Ukraine cheers. In fact, the whole world cheers this. It's not something to be embarrassed about everyone knowing that you overthrew a nation It's something to be proud of because you made the nation so much better. And sure, the Maidan incident was every bit the color revolution false flag that January 6th was, or that, for that matter, the Reichstag fire was. But don't you understand that things get so much better after those events? Whoops, there's that history of the region catching up with old Joe again. There'd be no doubt. The commitment of the United States to our NATO alliance and Article 5 is rock solid. And every member of NATO knows it. And Russia knows it as well. An attack against one is attack against all. It's a sacred oath. So once again, Joe Biden is talking about Article 5 of the NATO treaty. That says that the United States has to come in and defend any NATO country that's attacked. Ukraine, of course, is not a NATO country. So what they want to do 
is have a NATO country attacked so that they can justify a much larger war effort. Jack Posobiec was talking to Judge Napolitano yesterday and mentioned that he believes what will happen is that NATO will try to come into Ukraine and set up a safe zone of some sort, a refugee corridor, a supply corridor. And then what happens if somehow NATO's there doing their very peacekeeping work and then they get attacked there? Oh, man, that would be an attack against NATO and that would justify the whole NATO alliance coming in. He's kind of giving himself a lot of excuses to escalate this war significantly, isn't he? And what does he mean that Article 5 is a sacred oath? Article 5 is not a sacred oath. It's part of a defunct treaty. NATO is supposed to be a defensive alliance against Russia. NATO's usefulness and the justification of NATO's existence expired after the Cold War. Do we really have to pretend the United States is going to go defend NATO countries based on some contract from decades and decades ago when the people of the country don't support the effort at all? Joe Biden is not a leader. He's not a unifier. This is not the adults back in the room. Joe Biden is simply an illegitimate dictator who was installed in office and has become an authoritarian warmonger committing crimes against American people and is now selling that to the world. There's no justification for any of this. It doesn't matter how many media figures still wear their little Ukraine flag pins like Brian Kilmeade on Fox, that clown. We should see Joe Biden the way he deserves to be seen. And that's on par with the most evil leaders of the 20th century. That's who Joe Biden is. That's what he's doing. And the justification is, well, we have this sacred oath. Over the past year, the United States has come together with our allies and partners in an extraordinary coalition to stand against Russian aggression. But the work in front of us is not just what we're against. It's about what we're for. What kind of world do we want to build? We need to take the strength and capacity of this coalition and apply it to lifting up, lifting up the lives of people everywhere, improving health, growing prosperity, preserving the planet, building peace and security, treating everyone with dignity and respect. That's our responsibility. The democracies of the world have to deliver it for our people. How about that? So it's not just Article 5. NATO's not just there to defend allied nations against Russian aggression. They're there to fix the entire world for everybody. Isn't that amazing? They have the exact same agenda as the United Nations and the World Economic Forum and the WHO and the WTO and all of the other global regime governing bodies and alliances. Apparently, we have a sacred oath to all of that, too. As we gather tonight, the world, in my view, is at an inflection point. The decisions we make over the next five years or so are going to determine and shape our lives for decades to come. That's true for Americans. It's true for the people of the world. And while decisions are ours to make now, the principles and the stakes are eternal. The choice between chaos and stability, between building and destroying, between hope and fear, between democracy that lifts up the human spirit 
and the brutal hand of the dictator who crushes it. Between nothing less than limitation and possibilities, the kind of possibilities that come when people who live not in captivity but in freedom, freedom, freedom. There is no sweeter word than freedom. There is no nobler goal than freedom. There's no higher aspiration than freedom. Americans know that and you know it. And all that we do now must be done so our children and grandchildren will know it as well. Freedom. The enemy of the tyrant and the hope of the brave and the truth of the ages. Freedom. Stand with us. We will stand with you. Let us move forward with faith and conviction and with an abiding commitment to be allies, not of darkness, but of light, not of oppression, but of liberation, not of captivity, but yes, of freedom. May God bless you all. May God protect our troops. And may God bless the heroes of Ukraine and all those who defend freedom around the world. Thank you, Poland. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. God bless you all. The world is at an inflection point. The decisions we make now are going to matter a whole lot. But the principles and the values we are fighting for, those are eternal. The goal is for us to impose our will on everyone forever. And we are going to tell everyone that it's actually freedom because freedom is the sweetest word in the world. And we're just going to say it over and over and over again. Now, get your shots or you can't go to the grocery store. Wear a mask or you can't fly on planes. Don't say things we don't like or we'll make sure that you can never talk again. And you're going to have to give us your guns because we simply don't trust you. Everybody knows that the only good kind of killing is abortions and whatever harms Russians. And hey, if you want to throw in the occasional cop, that's cool. So Joe Biden on the world stage basically repeats the same things over and over and over again about how our resolve is strong. We will stand with Ukraine forever. And while we're at it, let's mix in a little woke agenda stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about globalism and how we're going to cure the whole world of all its ills just by continuing to fight the Russians in Ukraine. Joe Biden spent 20 minutes speaking and said virtually nothing. Now, Vladimir Putin gave a much more complex and detail-oriented speech yesterday, and my good friend Patrick Gunnels is reading through the entirety of that speech on his show today. I was going to do that, but it's a bit long. Decided to go Biden instead. But here is a summary of the speech. This is on thecradle.co, and it's by the intrepid international investigative journalist, Pepe Escobar, the headline, Putin's civilizational speech frames conflict between West and East. Russian President Vladimir Putin's much-awaited address to the Russian Federal Assembly on Tuesday should be interpreted as a tour de force of sovereignty. The address significantly marked the first anniversary of Russia's official recognition of the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, only a few hours before 22nd February, 2022. In myriad ways, what happened a year ago also marked the birth of the real 21st century multipolar world. Then two days later, Moscow launched the special military operation in Ukraine to defend said republics. 
Cool, calm, collected, without a hint of aggression, Putin's speech painted Russia as an ancient, independent, and quite distinct civilization, sometimes following a path in concert with other civilizations, sometimes in divergence. Ukraine, part of Russian civilization, now happens to be occupied by Western civilization, which Putin said became hostile to us, like in a few instances in the past. So the acute phase of what is essentially a war by proxy of the West against Russia takes place over the body of Russian civilization. That explains Putin's clarification that, quote, Russia is an open country, but an independent civilization. We do not consider ourselves superior, but we inherited our civilization from our ancestors and we must pass it on. A war dilacerating the body of Russian civilization is a serious existential business. Putin also made clear that, quote, Ukraine is being used as a tool and testing ground by the West against Russia, end quote. Thus, the inevitable follow up, the more long range weapons are sent to Ukraine, the longer we have to push the threat away from our borders. Translation, this war will be long and painful. There will be no swift victory with minimal loss of blood. The next moves around the Dnieper may take years to solidify. Depending on whether U.S. policy continues to cleave to neocon and neoliberal objectives, the front line may be displaced to Lviv. Then German politics may change. Normal trade with France and Germany may be recovered only by the end of the next decade. All that brings us to the games played by the empire of lies, says Putin. The promises of Western rulers turned into forgery and cruel lies. The West supplied weapons, trained nationalist battalions. Even before the start of the special military operation, there were negotiations on the supply of air defense systems. We remember Kiev's attempts to obtain nuclear weapons. Putin made it clear once again that the element of trust between Russia and the West, especially the U.S., is gone. So it's a natural decision for Russia to, quote, withdraw from the treaty on strategic offensive weapons. But we don't do it officially. For now, we are only halting our participation to the START treaty. No U.S. inspections in our nuclear sites can be allowed. As an aside of the three main U.S.-Russian weapons treaties, Washington abandoned two of these. The Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty was dumped by the administration of former President George W. Bush in 2002. And the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty was nixed by former President Donald Trump in 2019. This shows the Kremlin's degree of exasperation. Putin is even prepared to order the Ministry of Defense and Rosatom to get ready to test Russian nuclear weapons if the U.S. goes first along the same road. If that's the case, Russia will be forced to completely break parity in the nuclear sphere and abandon the moratorium on nuclear testing and cooperation with other nations when it comes to the production of nuclear weapons. So far, the U.S. and NATO game consisted in opening a little window, allowing them to inspect Russian nuclear sites. With his judo move, Putin returns the pressure onto the White House. The U.S. and NATO will not be exactly thrilled when Russia starts testing its new strategic weapons, especially the post-doomsday Poseidon, the largest nuclear-powered torpedo ever deployed, capable of triggering terrifying radioactive ocean swells. And that kind of sounds like a dystopian movie. On the economic front, bypassing the U.S. dollar is the essential play toward multipolarity. During his speech, Putin made a point to extol the resilience of the Russian economy. 
Russian GDP in 2022 decreased by only 2.1%. Estimates of the opposing side did not become reality. They said 15, 20%. That resilience gives Russia enough room to, quote, work with partners to make the system of international settlements independent of the U.S. dollar and other Western currencies. The dollar will lose its universal role. On geoeconomics, Putin went all out in praise of economic corridors from West Asia to South Asia. Quote, new corridors, transport routes will be built toward the east. This is the region where we will focus our development. New highways to Kazakhstan and China, new north-south corridor to Pakistan and Iran. And those will connect to Russia developing, quote, the ports of the Black and Azov Seas. It's necessary to build logistics corridors within the country, end quote. The result will be a progressive interconnection with the International North-South Transportation Corridor, whose principles include Iran and India, and eventually China's megatrillion dollar Belt and Road Initiative. It's inevitable that, apart from sketching several state policies geared toward Russia's internal development, one might even compare them to socialist policies, a great deal of Putin's address had to focus on the NATO versus Russia war till the last Ukrainian. Putin remarked on how, quote, our relationships with the West have degraded, and this is entirely the fault of the United States, end quote, how NATO's goal is to inflict a strategic defeat on Russia, and how the warmongering frenzy had forced him a week ago to sign a decree, quote, putting new ground-based strategic complexes on combat duty, end quote. So it's no accident that the U.S. ambassador was immediately summoned to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs right after Putin's address. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov told Ambassador Lynn Tracy in no uncertain terms that Washington must take concrete measures among them to remove all U.S. and NATO military forces and equipment away from Ukraine. In a stunning move, he demanded a detailed explanation of the destruction of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines, as well as a halt to U.S. interference in an independent inquiry to identify the responsible parties. Got that? So the Russian foreign minister is demanding the U.S. tell Russia what it knows about the bombing of the Nord Stream pipelines and to stop interfering in those investigations. Keeping the momentum in Moscow, top Chinese diplomat Wang Yi met with Secretary of Russian Security Council Nikolai Petrushev before talking to Lavrov and Putin. Petrushev remarked, quote, the course towards developing a strategic partnership with China is an absolute priority for Russia's foreign policy. Wang Yi not so cryptically added, quote, Moscow and Beijing need to synchronize their watches. The Americans are doing everything to try and preempt the Chinese proposal for a de-escalation in Ukraine. China's plan should be presented this Friday, and there's serious risk Beijing may fall into a trap set by the Western plutocracy. Too many Chinese concessions to Russia and not as many to Ukraine may be spun to drive a wedge between Moscow and Beijing. Divide and rule, which is always the U.S. plan A. There's no plan B. Sensing the waters... The Chinese themselves decided to take the offensive, presenting a global security initiative concept paper. The problem is Beijing still attributes too much clout to a toothless UN when they refer to, quote, formulating a new agenda for peace and other proposals put forth in our common agenda by the UN secretary general. And he's right to note 
the toothlessness of the UN. Beijing is still playing that game. Xi Jinping and China are still playing along. The unfortunate part of this piece of Pepe Escobar's reporting is that he is just focused on the countries and the governments they're currently in charge as they are told to us by global media. But that's not really the situation. It's the factions that matter, as I've said many times, and he doesn't seem to be recognizing that reality. But that is the only reality that matters in geopolitics right now. Same when Beijing upholds the consensus that, quote, a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. Try to explain that to the Straussian neocon psychos in the Beltway who know nothing about war, much less nuclear ones. The Chinese affirm the necessity to, quote, comply with the joint statement on preventing nuclear war and avoiding arms races issued by leaders of the five nuclear weapon states in January 2022 and to, quote, strengthen dialogue and cooperation among nuclear weapon states to reduce the risk of nuclear war. Bets can be made that Petrushev explained in detail to Wang Yi how that is just wishful thinking. The logic of the current collective Western leadership has been expressed, among others, by irredeemable mediocrity Jen Stoltenberg, NATO's secretary general. Even nuclear war is preferable to a Russian victory in Ukraine. Putin's measured but firm address has made it clear that the stakes keep getting higher, and it all revolves on how Russia's and China's strategic ambiguity are able to petrify a paranoid West flirting with mushroom clouds. And so I really do encourage people to read the transcript of Putin's speech or to listen to Patrick Gunnell's read it on his show. You can find him on Rumble. Putin gave another speech today, this time in a stadium fully packed with supporters as if it was like a Rolling Stone concert at the Rose Bowl. There are probably somewhere between 75,000 and 100,000 people attending this speech and cheering Putin on the whole time. Here is the scene as he enters. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin! Now, I know, I know Putin is a master of propaganda and a brutal Russian dictator. He probably forced all these people to show up and cheer for him and wave around little Russian flags with huge smiles on their faces. I mean, if it's even real that he's even in a stadium, the whole thing is probably propaganda. And hey, you know what? Take it, commie. Take it. The whole thing is propaganda. Joe Biden's whole thing is propaganda, too. Which person did propaganda better. How about that? Let's just leave it at that. Well, again, that's Putin. Whoops. So maybe the whole thing is real in that sense. Putin kicks Joe Biden's ass in propaganda. Congratulations. Go with that then, commie. Good luck, I guess. And here's what Putin had to say. This was a much shorter speech than yesterday. He said, good afternoon, friends. We are having this meeting on the eve of Defender of the Fatherland Day. This phrase, these words have something powerful, enormous. I would even say mystical and sacred in them. No wonder one of the most popular prayers begins with the words, Our Father. Father is a word that conveys something very close to every person. After all, we also say motherland. This is about a family, something huge and powerful, 
and at the same time close to everyone's heart. It is the motherland and the family. Ultimately, the motherland is the family, and they mean the same for us in our hearts. There are people, here they are standing next to me on my left and my right, whose choice in life is to defend the most sacred and dearest thing that we have, family and the motherland. Today, they are doing this as part of the special military operation. We have come together here for what is, in fact, a festive event. But I know, I just received a report from the country's top military leaders, that a battle for our people is unfolding on our historical borders right at this moment. It is being led by courageous servicemen, just like the ones who are standing next to us here. They are fighting heroically, courageously, and bravely. We are proud of them. Let's give a triple hooray in their honor so they can hear our greetings. Our entire country stands behind them, which means that everyone who does it is, to a certain extent, also a defender of the fatherland. That includes medical workers who help our troops get back on their feet, doctors, nurses, and of course, defense industry employees, transport workers, and everyone else who does this. My friends, this also includes you, the people who came here today to support our soldiers. Thank you. It includes even children who write letters to support our soldiers. This is very important in this sense, in our efforts to protect our interests, our people, our culture, our language, and all our territories. All our people are defenders of the fatherland. I bow low to all of you. Happy upcoming Defender of the Fatherland Day. United, we have no equal. For the unity of the Russian people, hooray. Now that obviously by no means is the detailed policy speech he gave the day before. But that's not what this speech is for. This speech is about patriotism and nationalism and honoring their military and honoring their history because that history matters. In fact, that history is almost all that matters. And that's why the global state propaganda media ignores it completely. But it is worth knowing. This is Douglas McGregor from yesterday on Judge Napolitano's show. Here's uh, President Putin uh, earlier today on who started the war. Kiev regime provided artillery uh, and uh, aviation and uh, other weapons to to attack Donbass back in 2014. In 2015, they attempted again to directly attack Donbass. They continued shelling terror in relation to citizens. All of this was completely against the documents that were accepted by the United Nations uh, Security Council. I would like to repeat, they started the war and we used the force in order to stop it. The only thing he didn't say is that Victoria Nuland, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama started this when they fomented with the use of CIA and other assets the so-called revolution in 2014, which overthrew the popularly elected government, which was perceived as pro-Moscow. That's about the only thing he didn't say. The rest of what he said is arguably an accurate recitation of that part of the history of that area. No, it is. And keep in mind that the Minsk agreements were reached and signed by Russia Germany, France, in order to put an end to the attacks on the Donbass republics. These are Luhansk and Donetsk. These are the two, quote unquote, breakaway republics. They're all Russians. 14,000 people have died in the fighting there long before the Russians intervened in Ukraine. 
And this was intolerable, and they finally moved in to stop it. He's exactly right. There's no question about that. We don't acknowledge it. But justice and truth are not on our side in this. Justice and truth are not on our side on this. And look at where we are right now as a nation. War is being waged in our name with our money and resources. Atrocities are being committed in our name and truth and justice are not on our side. What does that make us? Look what's being done in our name. How is that being allowed? I'll tell you how it's allowed. People are afraid to talk about election fraud. People are afraid to talk about the most basic, obvious truths because they know they're going to get in trouble. And so instead, this happens in our name. And why is it happening? Why does it continue happening? This is zero hedge today. Neocons know, quote, the monetary system is collapsing. Martin Armstrong warns, quote, war checks all the boxes. Legendary financial and geopolitical cycle analyst Martin Armstrong said at the end of last year, the U.S. is being set up for a quote unquote nightmare fall. Train derailments and political problems are spinning out of control, but the biggest threat is war. Armstrong explains they want a war, but they also need it because the monetary system is collapsing. He goes on. You have had interest rates at negative since 2014, so suddenly interest rates are rising. Any bond owned by any institution in Europe is a loser. They have lost so much money, it's incredible. What happens? Nobody is interested in long-term debt, period. If you have interest rates rising and rates are going to be up because the Fed cannot stop this kind of inflation, then you got war. You have untold billions of dollars being shipped into Ukraine, which is absurd. This is what you have. You also have to look at what Janet Yellen said, and she was concerned with the tons of new debt coming out. You are exceeding the balance sheets of the primary dealers. To be a primary dealer, you have to be able to guarantee you will be able to buy X amount of debt. If you can't sell it, what happens? The bank is stuck with this debt, and then they go bust. So we have a real problem here. They cannot continue to issue this kind of debt in perpetuity. They have been borrowing money since World War II with no intention of paying anything off. The Fed is independent and they don't want the long-term debt. They have been moving toward the short end of the curve. How do you continue to fund a government if there are no buyers for the debt? This is on a global scale. So war checks all the boxes? Armstrong says, absolutely. They get to default on all this debt, which is the real objective. That's why Klaus Schwab is out there saying you'll own nothing and be happy. He's trying to make it sound like they are doing this for you. We are going to default on all debt and relieve you of all your debt. This is because they are going to wipe out everything. Pension funds will be all gone. That's why they are coming out with guaranteed basic income to replace your pension. They've got this all worked out. That's what the end goal is here because they cannot continue to function this way. They cannot continue to borrow whatever they need with no intention of ever paying it back. Armstrong reveals why the 2024 elections may not happen. Can the deep state commit enough voter fraud to keep Biden and the rest of the neocons in power? Armstrong says most of what is happening today is the fault of the neocons, and they have control of both parties. Armstrong points out Democrat Hillary Clinton paid for the phony Trump Russia dossier, and Republican John McCain delivered it to the FBI. 
Armstrong calls it the Uniparty and goes deep on the problems the neocons are causing on purpose. Armstrong also talks about the dollar, gold, civil unrest, tangible assets in the Ukraine war. Armstrong sources say the real number of casualties of the Ukrainian army stands at a whopping 250,000 dead. Armstrong says Russia is not losing the war, it's winning. And the article goes on. The interview is linked to the article on Zero Hedge. I encourage you to go check it out if you're interested. But again, this is what we've been talking about. This tracks with everything we've been saying for the last couple of years. The Great Reset agenda must be pushed forward because their financial game is collapsing. And this war is just a part of that. Now, I think to then attribute it to just the neocons is a little silly. The neocons are operating on behalf of the global regime as they always have. But it's not just the neocons. It's all of the neoliberals, the classical liberal normies, everyone who imagines they are centrists, the progressives, the socialists, the communists. It's all the same agenda. They just argue about the nuances and then market that to the people. If the real goal is to protect the global regime and the bankers during a massive financial reset of the entire world, then it's not the neocons doing all this. It's the bankers. And speaking of neocons, potentially, don't worry, I said potentially, Ron DeSantis finally weighed in on Biden's Ukraine visit and the U.S.'s spending in Ukraine. He joined Fox and Friends the other day. He said they have effectively a blank check policy with no clear strategic objective identified. And these things can escalate. And I don't think it's in our interest to be getting into a proxy war with China, getting involved over things like the borderlands or over Crimea. So I think it would behoove them to identify what is the strategic objective that they're trying to achieve. But just saying it's an open-ended blank check, that is not acceptable. Well, bold words a year into this conflict from Ron DeSantis. This is covered, by the way, in Zero Hedge as well. The governor added that the scenario of Russia steamrolling into NATO countries, quote, has not even come close to happening, adding that Russia has shown itself to be, quote, a third-rate military power. I think they've suffered tremendous, tremendous losses, DeSantis said, referring to Russia. And he also added, I don't think any of this would have happened but for the weakness that the president showed during his first year in office, culminating, of course, in the disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan. So I think while he's over there, I think I and many Americans are thinking to ourselves, okay, he's very concerned about those borders halfway around the world. He's not done anything to secure our own border here at home. We've had millions and millions of people pour in, tens of thousands of Americans dead because of fentanyl. And then, of course, we've just suffered a national humiliation of having China fly a spy balloon clear across the continental United States. So I guess it's nice to stand up to this war effort a year in after we have already put upwards of a hundred billion American taxpayer dollars into that war effort that, as he notes, has no clear strategic objective. But while Ron DeSantis has no power as the governor of Florida to influence any of this and doesn't have the political power to create momentum against the war effort, 
there are some things that Congress can do, and it seems like we might be getting some signs of Congress actually doing them. This is from Breitbart on Sunday. Representative Ralph Norman says McCarthy set the gears in place to strip Ukraine aid from must pass spending bills. Representative Ralph Norman of South Carolina told Breitbart News in an exclusive interview this week that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy set the, quote, gears in place for conservatives on the House Rules Committee to strip Ukraine aid from must pass spending bills. Norman spoke to Breitbart News as conservatives have railed against the inclusion of Ukraine aid in must pass bills, such as the one point seven trillion dollar omnibus spending bill and a stopgap spending bill, otherwise known as a continuing resolution. Asked if the House conservatives on the House Rules Committee would move to strip Ukraine aid from must pass spending bills, Norman said, we're going to make sure it happens. The South Carolina conservative elaborated. If it's spending American dollars, then each representative is going to have to take a vote on it. We're simply not going to let them bundle it up on something completely off the radar with having anything to do with where the money is going. And that would certainly be a welcome development. The House should be stripping away the money from this war effort. There is no war declared. Congress did not declare war. Joe Biden can't even justify any part of the war. We're apparently just doing Ukraine a favor. But if this is a favor, what would it look like to actually be harming the people of Ukraine? And the dynamic here is interesting. They pushed through during the lame duck session right at the very end last year. They pushed through all this spending. It's seeming now like they must have done that thinking that Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans in the House wouldn't have the political will or the political support to be able to end funding for this Ukrainian war effort. But it seems like they're going to go ahead and do just that, which means that the regime has read the political situation in America wrong once again, because the people are no longer supporting all of this spending. And that should be pretty clear by the astounding lack of Ukraine flags on American houses where Ukraine flags used to be. And that's not the only anti-war effort coming from the Republican members of Congress. This is from Fox News Today. Matt Gates wants all U.S. troops pulled from Syria, claims Biden lied about military presence. Congressman Matt Gates of Florida is pushing his colleagues in the House for a vote on whether the U.S. should keep forces in Syria after reports that four U.S. service members were wounded in Syria last week, long after Biden said there were no U.S. troops in that country. His resolution would mandate that President Biden remove U.S. armed forces from Syria no later than 15 days after the date of the resolution's adoption. Since the invasion of Ukraine, we seem to have turned our attention away from some of America's entanglement in Syria, Gates told Fox News Digital. And the purpose of my legislation is to force members of Congress to vote on record regarding whether they think we ought to continue Obama's war in Syria. President Obama kicked off our involvement, and now we still find ourselves in the middle of a Syrian civil war with Russia and Turkey and Iran all present in a very confined neighborhood. And it strikes me as a powder keg for very dangerous escalation, he added. And as we find ourselves here in 2023, we ought to ask ourselves, do we really want to continue the Obama era policy of engaging in a Syrian civil war? I don't think we should. 
Gates, who sits on the House Armed Services Committee, filed the resolution following a February 17th report from U.S. Central Command that four U.S. service members were wounded during a U.S. and Syrian Democratic Forces helicopter raid in northeastern Syria that killed a senior ISIS leader. Gates said he's worried President Biden does not have a cognitive grasp on the Syrian conflict, citing an August 2021 interview with ABC News on U.S. involvement in the Syria conflict in which Biden stated, quote, we don't have military in Syria to make sure that we're going to be protected. But news reports rebut that claim and say that at the time of the interview, the U.S. had an estimated 900 troops in Syria for the purpose of helping SDF fight ISIS. Gates says Congress has never authorized participation of U.S. armed forces in Syria, which Gates argued is required by the Constitution. Gates's resolution is pursuant to the War Powers Act of 1973, which was designed to limit the president's ability to initiate or escalate military actions abroad. Under that act, the House will be forced to vote within 18 days after Gates's resolution was introduced. I've heard reports as recently as today from people who've spent time in the Syria theater, indicating that Russian and U.S. personnel get into very close proximity to one another, close enough to take photos and wave, Gates said of potential escalation in the region. And the risk of an accident or miscalculation or just misuse of authority could lead to direct kinetic conflict between the United States and Russia in Syria. And we ought to really think about whether or not that risk is worth whatever it is we're fighting for in Syria. If Joe Biden wants to keep U.S. troops in the Syrian conflict, he should have to explain to us why, what the goal is, and what winning looks like. Gates said he hopes his resolution will win the approval of both Republican and Democratic colleagues. One of my great disappointments in the 118th Congress is that people who I thought were anti-war Democrats seem to be consumed, have become cheerleaders for our armed conflict, Gates said. The squad used to be anti-war. Now they're waving their pom-poms for NATO. And so I'm sort of looking for where the anti-war coalition currently resides in the Congress. Is it more on the right? Is it more on the left? Is it some amalgamation thereof? But this resolution will test who is truly adherent to what I believe is America first foreign policy and who continues to believe in Middle Eastern adventurism. And so this is great stuff from the Republican Congress. Are they able to do absolutely everything we want them to do? No, they can't because they don't have the Senate. They don't have the presidency, but they do have the House. And with the House comes the power of the purse. Can they hold a vote to cut off aid to Ukraine that continues this war effort? Can they hold a vote to bring these troops back from Syria? Does anyone know why we're there in the first place? Both of these things get everybody in the House on the record, do you support this spending? Do you support troops in Syria? And that is important on its own because we get to learn about where these members stand. When Nancy Pelosi was there with the Democrat House and everybody voting by proxy on all of these packaged bills where everything is all together, they can just cast their vote for the whole bill, never be put on record where they stand on Ukraine or any of these other issues. That's come to an end. Now everybody is going to actually have to be on record, which means that the voters can hold them accountable in a perfect world. Obviously, the voters can't hold them accountable with fraudulent elections, but at least people will have the ability to contact their representatives and tell them that they expect them to vote a certain way and that they don't approve 
of further aid to these foreign countries while we have plenty of problems here at home. And one of those problems, of course, is in East Palestine, Ohio. Donald Trump has just landed there to bring attention and hopefully some help to that region and obviously show the stark contrast between Donald Trump's priorities and the priority of the global puppet Joe Biden. But Trump also put out a video statement yesterday, a very strong statement about the warmongers in the deep state. And I'm going to play that for you now. Pay special attention to when Donald Trump talks about how this Ukraine conflict got started. He is placing the responsibility directly on Obama's State Department and officials that continue to surround Joe Biden right now. Obama and Biden and that Obama State Department are the real culprits here. They are responsible for this conflict and everything that happens as a result. That's them. And sadly, they never went away. World War III has never been closer than it is right now. We need to clean house of all of the warmongers and America last globalists in the deep state, the Pentagon, the State Department, and the national security industrial complex. One of the reasons I was the only president in generations who didn't start a war is that I was the only president who rejected the catastrophic advice of many of Washington's generals, bureaucrats, and the so-called diplomats who only know how to get us into conflict, but they don't know how to get us out. For decades, we've had the very same people, such as Victoria Nuland and many others just like her, obsessed with pushing Ukraine toward NATO, not to mention the State Department support for uprisings in Ukraine. These people have been seeking confrontation for a long time, much like the case in Iraq and other parts of the world. And now we're teetering on the brink of World War III. And a lot of people don't see it, but I see it. And I've been right about a lot of things. They all say Trump's been right about everything. None of this excuses in any way the outrageous and horrible invasion of Ukraine one year ago, which would have never happened if I was your president, not even a little chance. But it does mean that here in America, we need to get rid of the corrupt globalist establishment that has botched every major foreign policy decision for decades. And that includes President Biden, whose own people said he's never made a good decision when it comes to looking at other countries and looking at wars. We have to replace them with people who support American interests. Over our four years in the White House, we made incredible progress in putting the America last contingent aside and bringing the world to peace. And now we're going to complete the mission the State Department, Pentagon, and National Security Establishment will be a very different place by the end of my administration. In fact, just into my administration, it'll be a very different place, and it'll get things done, just like I did four years ago. We never had it so good. We'll also stop the lobbyists and the big defense contractors from going in and pushing our senior military and national security officials toward conflict, only to reward them when they retire with lucrative jobs, getting paid millions and millions of dollars. Take a look at the globalist warmonger donors backing our opponents. 
That's because they're candidates of war. I am the president who delivers peace, and it's peace through strength. There was a reason we had no conflict. There was a reason we didn't get into wars, because other countries respected us. I entirely built all right from the beginning, rebuilt our military. It's a big reason for that. They didn't want to mess around with the United States, and now they're laughing at us. We could end the Ukraine conflict in 24 hours with the right leadership. At the end of my next four years, the warmongers and frauds and failures of the senior ranks of our government will all be gone, and we will have a new group of competent national security officials who believe in defending America's vital interests above all else. Thank you very much. Trump is calling out the Obama-Biden regime and their allies, including people like John McCain, and he's even calling some of them out by name, particularly Victoria Newland. He's right about how all of this got started. He's right about who caused it. And he's right about the fact that he is the president of peace. He is the one who did not start new wars and didn't escalate old conflicts. This is exactly the right policy. He is going after the military industrial complex in the way very few presidents in our history have. He is right that the route to peace is through strength and through sovereign nations, leaving one another alone rather than infiltrating and subsuming other nations, making them part of a global regime to ultimately take over and control the world and all its resources. That is what we're facing. Trump is firmly against that. And we should be overjoyed that there is a president, a leader on the world stage out there saying exactly this. Does anyone doubt that he has the power to clear these people out of government when he is back to being officially recognized as president? I don't. That is the leader we need in 2024. It is the leader we need right now. And we should all be thankful that Donald Trump exists. Because everyone now can see what the alternative really looks like. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash imyourmoderator. And I'll see you soon, out on the range.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!